You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series on Ephesians. Thanks for joining me, Nathan Johnson, in an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's dive into the lesson for the day. Welcome to Lesson 8 of the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. We are continuing our study in verse 4 today. Now, again, Paul is talking in this blessing section, which is chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, about the countless blessings that we have in God. And remember, every blessing finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Now, again, let me just read verses 3 through 4 so we just have the overarching context for where we're going. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I want to focus on the idea of him choosing us to be holy and blameless before him. Again, as we talked about in the last lesson, the idea of chosen, it's it's an indicative, which means, hey, this is not a question. This is not, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. You know, did he choose me? Did he not choose me? Can he not choose me? I mean, what? how's this? See, this is a simple statement of fact. This is not up for argument. God has chosen you. And again, this is two Greek words put together. It's the idea of uh, uh, out from and to speak. So it's the idea of to call out from or to pick or to choose. And this choosing that he has for you is found in Christ. That I am chosen in Jesus Christ. And when did this choosing happen? happen? It happened before the foundation of the world. As we talked about last time, you are not an accident. Hey, you were chosen for such a time as this, that God has you in the age that you are, that the, however old you are in this generation for a divine purpose and a divine plan. And he is, hey, he has chosen you before he spoke creation into existence. Before God said, let there be light, you were on his mind. He was crafting and forming you and excited. Do you realize that God was longing for this day? Why? Because he has purposed and planned. He has chosen you for such a time as this. He has chosen you to be in this generation. And God has waited through all the ages. Why? Because now is your day and he has chosen you for right now. Isn't that awesome? Wow, I love that. And again, what is the purpose of the choosing? Paul says that you are chosen to be holy and blameless. So I want to look at those two words with you. Uh, The idea of holiness is this idea of separation or to be unlike something else. I think I can biblically prove to you that God is not holy. Now, I know what you've been told all through, you know, all growing up. And if you attend a church over and over, God is holy. God is holy. But I think I can biblically prove to you that he is not holy. In fact, God is not even holy, holy. See, God is so holy. The only way we can describe God is Holy, holy, holy. That's a triple emphasis of his holiness. See, really what it's saying is that uh, that God is set apart, set apart, set apart. That he is unlike us. He is unlike us. He is unlike us. Wow. Do you realize that God is holy, holy, holy? That, that he has really set himself apart. That he is different. He is, he is consecrated. He is perfect righteousness. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile 
yourselves. And in Leviticus, there's a calling that says, here's God saying, hey, look, I am holy. I am perfect righteousness, and I am calling you to be just like I am. So we are called to be consecrated and set apart for God's use alone. See, it's a life altogether pure, upright, blameless, virtuous, and holy. And I came across a great commentary uh, on, on this section, and I just wanted to read a little section to you. It's from William Barclay. It has a great enunciate, uh, enunciation on this idea of holiness. This is what William Barclay said. He said, In the early church, Christians never had any doubt that they must be different from the world. They, in fact, knew that they must be so different that the probability was that the world would kill them and certainly was that the world would hate them. But the tendency in the modern church has been to play down the difference between the church and the world, We have, in effect, often said to people, as long as you live a decent, respectable life, it's quite all right to become a church member and to call yourself a Christian. You don't need to be so very different from other people. When, in fact, Christians should be easily identifiable in the world. Christ did not take us out of the world, but he does make us different in the world. You have been chosen to be holy. See, God is holy. He is other than. He is set apart. He is unlike the world around him. And God is looking you in the face saying, oh, would you, would you become like me? Would you allow me to bring about holiness in your life? Mm, I desperately long for that, don't you? Now, not only were you chosen for holiness, you were chosen to be blameless. And the idea of blameless here is this idea of without spot, blemish, or to be faultless. It's really an Old Testament concept. Now, when you come to the book of Leviticus, and I know, I know a lot of us kind of shy away from the book of Leviticus. It's like, oh no, it's all the laws, it's all this stuff. But let me just give you a quick overview of the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is really talking about the laws, the perfect righteousness of God. He gives a lot of instructions to the Levites, which is this idea that here are these Levitical priests who are literally set apart from the Israelites. Their inheritance was God. They were called to be holy. It's a great book for the Christian because the Levitical priest is actually an Old Testament picture of a Christian. That that our inheritance is not land, it's God himself. That that we are called to be set apart, that we are to be the worship instruments for God. Oh, that's phenomenal. Well, in Leviticus chapter 22, God has given a commission and he's talking about, hey, when you bring a sacrifice into the temple, that every sacrificial animal had to meet these strict examinations. Why? Because there was a perfect standard of righteousness. Anything less could not be accepted. So if you had a little lamb, you'd bring the lamb in and they would be, they would analyze the lamb. They would be scrutinized. Uh, They would look and say, okay, is there any blemish? Is there a broken leg? Is there any problem over here? Is there a spot over here? And if there was, they wouldn't accept it. Why? Because we were called to give God our very best. And in the same way that the little lamb or the little sacrificial animal was to be blameless, that's what you were called to. I love this idea in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Peter's talking about the fact that we have been redeemed. And how have we been redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do you realize that Jesus was our perfect sacrifice? 
that, that he himself made the sacrifice that the little lamb talked about or the little goat or the little, you know, the, the bull talked about in Leviticus that, hey, when you're going to present them to God in the temple, hey, you were to scrutinize them and analyze them and, and look to see if there's any faults or problems and, and blemishes. Why? Because God only accepts a perfect sacrifice. Then Peter says, wow, do you know what Jesus did? Jesus became that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Hebrews says the very same thing. I love that idea. So, so just as the sacrificial animals were to be blameless and without spot, and just as Jesus was blameless and without spot, so too you and I are to be blameless. We are called unto a blameless, holy life. Uh, let me just read you a few of these passages where this idea of blameless shows up. This is really interesting to me. Uh, later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about Jesus and his bride, the church. And he makes this statement. He says that Jesus might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you realize that the church, God's church, the bride of Christ, is to be without spot or blemish? That there isn't, there isn't supposed to be sin. There isn't supposed to be a marring. There isn't supposed to be just a, well, a self-dependency that our lives are called to be holy and blameless. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul makes this statement. And you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. How are you to be presented? Holy, blameless, and above reproach. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, the writer says this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So here's the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, without spot or blemish. And what is he doing? He's taking your spots and your blemishes and he's removing them. Isn't that phenomenal? That here I am, I'm really born with blemish. I'm born with sin. I'm really born corrupted. I'm born self self-interested and self-sufficient. And what is God doing? The perfect sacrifice who did not have spot or blemish is doing something in my life to produce a life without spot or blemish. Oh, that's so good. In Jude verse 24, he writes, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, which is that word blameless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 4 through 5, John writes, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Do you realize that you were called to be holy and without blame? So really quickly, I want to give you three aspects of what does it mean to be chosen to be holy and blameless. So number one is the idea of consecration. Now, consecration has this idea of to be completely undefiled, to be separated or set apart or unlike the world at any level. See, anything that taints or distracts or defiles us, even in, even in the smallest sense, should be purged and removed from our lives. I love the old story in the Old Testament about King Josiah. It's found in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But Josiah, he became a king when he was just a really young kid. I think he was around eight years old. And later on, <clears throat> this uh, person found the word of the Lord. It had been lost. 
And so they brought it before the king and said, Josiah, the, the word of the Lord has been found. And Josiah had it read in his hearing. And as soon as the word of God was presented, as soon as he heard the word of God lifted up, Josiah responded. Now listen to what took place. In 2 Chronicles 34, verse 33, it says, Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All of his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. You get this idea that here is Josiah. He's presented the word of God. He sees the truth of God's word lifted up. And immediately he responds. He says, oh, I, I noticed that what the word says and what I'm seeing, and not only in my life, but the, but the nation around me is full of, man, we are full of idols. We're full of selfishness. We're full of these high towers lifting up praises to false gods. And what does he do? He goes and he purges everything. Why? So it would be holy and blameless. In the, in the passage, it's interesting, even has the idea of to crushing it to dust. That what did Josiah do? He literally went around the nation and anything that stood against the authority of God Almighty, he literally crushed it to dust. I love that idea. What about your life? Are you consecrated in your personal life? When you allow the Holy Spirit to examine you, do you, do you notice that, wow, I, I, I am faultless and I am holy? Or would you say, wow, there's, there's a lot of sin there's a lot of selfishness. There's, there's a lot of areas of my life that are not fully given over unto Jesus Christ. I want to walk through really quickly six questions that you could ask yourself to examine your personal life. And this isn't just something for you to do alone. In fact, I would encourage you to, you know, after this lesson to, to go aside and literally get on your knees before Jesus and say, God, would you through your spirit illuminate anything in my life that is not that has not really lived up to your perfect standard? How would you come and would you scrutinize my life and would you wade through and walk through? Would you open up every door? Would you, would you go into every closet and just see if there's any wickedness, if there's any evil, if there's any sin, if there's any selfishness, if there's anything against your nature in my life? Now, these are <laughs> six painful questions. And I think about them all the time because I really want God to form in my life a life of holiness and blame, blamelessness. So here are the six questions. Number one, is there anything in my private life that I would hesitate to make known for the shame it would bring my name? If we were to look at your life and the internals and of your heart and of your mind and your actions, what, how you speak, and would you be embarrassed if we presented that in front of an entire group? If we said, hey, we're going to bring you up and we're going to share your life from the last week, what, would you be shamed do you realize if there was something that you'd be shameful of, that, that there's, a, there's a spiritual issue there? Number two, is there anything in my private life that I would hesitate to make known for the shame it would bring his name? Would, if we were to bring you up again and, and really declare your last week in front of a group, would people go, wow, that reminds me of Jesus? Or, whoa, that, that is so corrupt, that is so twisted, that is so impure, that is so whatever. And maybe you wouldn't be shamed by that. You're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's my life. But would God be embarrassed? Would God be shamed? Would you be marring his holy name? Number three, do I live my private moments carelessly or circumspectly? See, when nobody's watching, how do you live? Is it just well, nobody's around, so I'm just going to lean back and do whatever I want, and I'm just kind of careless with my life. 
Or in my private moments, am I still focused? Am I still diligent? Am I still living circumspectly? Am I still intentional in the way that I live? Number four, do I speak the gospel in private with my life, my actions, and my purity? I really love this idea. Imagine that somehow we could tap a TV and kind of like attach it to you somehow. And we just kind of watched the last day or the last week and, and everything that you've done, everything that you said, and then even your motive behind it, your thought process, your inner attitude, uh, what we think about, uh, somehow we were able to show that on a television screen. So not just your actions, but why you did it. Uh, someone says something to you and that internal rolling of your eyes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that is somehow captured. If we could just do that over the last day, see the last 24 hours or even the last week, would everyone who is watching your life being played out, would they hear such a thunderous reality of the gospel and, and the life of Jesus Christ that they would say, I want to be a Christian? <laughs> that somehow the, the way that you live and the way that you talk and the way that you think and, and your internal motives and your, your attitude somehow, oh, I, I, I want that. Would they say that or would they say, whoa, you call yourself a Christian? Look at that attitude. Look, look at that motive. Look at that perverseness of, of impurity. Look, look at that. See, does my inner life, does, does everything I say and do and, and even that internal stuff that no one ever sees, does that proclaim the gospel? If someone could sneak in and look through your windows and see how you treated family and friends and, and what you did when no one was looking, would they say, wow, I see Jesus Christ and I want to be a Christian because of that. Mm, that's a tough question. Number five, would the world have anything to hold over you? It's interesting. They say that everything that you look online, everything that you do on your phone is being recorded somewhere. What would it look like if, if uh, you, you decided one day to stand up and say, ah, I'm a Christian. Now, let's say that someone else was sitting there going, oh, you're, you're a Christian. All right. Uh, let's look at your browsing history. Let's, let's look at your text messages. Let's, let's look at your phone calls and what you've said. And, and let's look at the, would you, be, would you be shamed? Would you be embarrassed? Would, you, would they have anything to hold over your head? Well, how long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian for five years. Well, why were you looking at this three months ago? See, would, would it literally just, hmm. They say that if you're running for public office, that the best thing to do is if you have closet, you know, the skeletons in your closet to bring them out in the open before they're found out. And I, and I understand that the phenomenal reality of Jesus Christ in the gospel is that he's, he takes your past life, he draws a line in the sand, and you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord. But the way that you're living right now, the way that you're thinking, the way that you're acting, would the world have anything to hold over you? Hmm. And number six, is my private life with God different than my public life with God? And in other words, <clears throat> I come to church on Sunday and wow, I raise my hands in worshiping. Wow, God's doing a lot of great things. And I, and I use all that religious language. But, you know, Saturday night, yeah, I'm down with the buddies. I, I go, you know, down to the bar and, and I just kind of live however I want to. See, does my life have any hypocrisy or duplicity in it? Do I change how I live or how I talk based on the group I'm around. I'm a chameleon, if you will, that around this group, I act this way and around this group, I act this way. And oh, when I go to church, I act this way. And, or am I always the same? See, do you realize that the Christian life, if you're truly consecrated, it is a consistent life where there is no hypocrisy or duplicity, that our lives are always the same, that you could catch me in this group or in this situation or at this place, and it's the same person. 
So those are just six easy questions that you can you know, allow the Holy Spirit to use to examine your life. But how are you doing? I don't know about you, but oh, that's convicting. I, I, I have spots and I have blemishes and, and I, have, I have tendencies of just of wanting stuff for myself. And I, I am not as holy as I should be. Would I allow the Holy One to somehow do a work, the one who is without blemish, do a work in my life to remove the blemishes and to make me holy? Why? Because I was chosen to be holy and without blame. So again, three aspects. Number one, consecration. Number two, consumption. That, that if I truly was chosen for holiness and to be without blame, you realize that this would cause a consumption a compulsion for God in our lives. That, that Jesus is not an add-on to our life. It's not like, well, yeah, I live this life, plus I have a little bit of Jesus. That he becomes our very life. So do I ever, do I, do I find myself increasing in love, in my delight and my desire for him? Am I more compelled? Am I more just consumed? Am I more just falling more madly in love with him day by day by day? Why? Because that is a mark of holiness. That, that if I'm truly holy and without blame, I delight in him. Mm. Consumption. Oh, I want that. And number three, Christ-likeness. See, to be holy is to be like him. Again, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So here's God. He is the Holy One. And he is wanting to take his holiness and fill up your life. Why? Because you're chosen in him. And when you find yourself in him, suddenly his holiness becomes your own and he begins to produce a life of holiness, which means that the very thing that defines him, his life, his nature is going to, is going to define you and you're going to find yourself Christ-like. But this only comes when you find yourself in him. Again, we've said this before, but Colossians 1.27 says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, I, I cannot be holy apart from Christ. As one Greek scholar said, holiness is more than sacredness or purity and, and being free from defilement. It's far more comprehensive than that. It's God-likeness. See, it's his life coming to be with, within me. So, so get this idea. Paul says, I'm talking about the blessings that we have in God. Do you realize that, that he has chosen you? That he has hand-selected you? You are his number one pick. Even before the foundations of the world, even before he spoke light into existence, you were on his mind. Oh, and you were chosen in Christ. Well, for what? To be holy and without blemish. Hey, that you were called to have his likeness, that you were to have his character. Hey, you were to, you were to allow him to remove just the impurities and the, and the stench of selfishness and, and the sin from your life. You were called to live a consecrated life that is consumed with God himself and is being made into his likeness. Wow, what a reality. Do you realize what a condescension it is for God to do that in our lives? He should have just flicked us into the abyss and, and just caused us to go to hell. Why? Because we have rebelled and shaken our fists in his face. But rather than that, 
He has taken us in all of our sin, in all of our blemishness, while we were yet enemies, shaking our fists in his face, Christ died for us. And he's taken his very life and allowing his life to redefine us. He doesn't leave us in the junk. He consecrates and sanctifies our life to make it holy and without blame before him. Wow, what a reality. Now, next time we're going to finish looking at verse 4, and we're going to examine what does it mean to be holy and blameless before him. And I would encourage you to join me in studying Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 this week in preparation for this next study. And this idea before him is so profound. I love this idea. Well, thanks for joining me for today's study. If you would like to see an outline of this study or read a commentary version of this passage, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians 08 for lesson number eight. And also just to let you know, if you don't know already, these weekly studies are available in audio format by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or by visiting deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ. See you then. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus Christ, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you would like to view the video version of this study, you can do so at deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians.